0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day here to start the week on this Monday, August 8th. If you've been watching the markets in August, a lot of the attention turns to weather. We're gonna be joined by John Baranek of DTN Weather here in segment two to talk about what might be coming from the skies later on this week. And in segment three, Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress will be joining us. She is the policy editor over there. She has had a very busy weekend watching the action in the Senate as they prepared and then subsequently passed that Inflation Reduction Act we discussed last week on the show. It, it is now, the lot has not yet been signed by President Joe Biden. Jackie will give us an update on what to expect with all of that but before we get to that let's turn our focus over to the market seeing a little bit of a back and forth trade this morning darren Newsom keeps track of what's developing in the world of commodities and he joins us now darren thanks for talking to us today
2: good morning mike thanks for having me on again
0: Let's talk about what is going on here in the trade. Looking at the corn market, we're seeing December find a little bit of weakness. Darren, as we start the week, is this just reflecting on the changing weather forecasts?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, usually as we come out of the weekend, uh, the biggest thing we've got right now is you know, it rained over parts of the parts of the Midwest this week. and Some areas saw some pretty decent rain. Now, it was expected You know, when we were looking at uh, the weekend forecast late last week, this was expected. It's just I think some of the areas saw a bit more rain than what they were looking for. So, you know, it's got a little bit of pressure. Volume still relatively light. doesn't really change the structure uh, of the corn market all that much. There were some really interesting developments, uh, again, late last week. But by and large, structure of the market hasn't changed that much. We're still, you know, it's it's looking ahead to harvest see what ultimately happens.
0: Darren, with the volume being light, how are you seeing managed money trade this commodity market here with the U.S. dollar at, oh gosh, still up at 20-year highs?
2: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question, Mike, because that's part of the structural change that we started to see last week. You know, recall I've been saying that, you know, once we got past the July Fed announcement, we got into early August uh, with the Goldman Roll going on and and traders didn't have to worry about the September contract anymore, you know, those funds that have to be, you know, in in the nearby contract, they'd start to focus on the December. And what did we see in the CFTC commitment to traders report? And again, I look at the legacy futures only. It's really the only one that matters. If non-commercial traders added 14,000. 800 contracts to their net long in corn with 16500 of that just flat-out buying of, of futures. So they're starting to come back. It doesn't matter. The dollar is important up until the point that it's not. It's important in some of those markets where there's a lot of global uh, competition, such as wheat. But in corn, it all comes down to, okay, who has the corn? Where can, they, where can the buyers get the corn? Right now, the U.S. has corn. So, the dollar is not as important, and with fundamentals, long-term fundamentals still bullish. It's according to spreads. Investment traders started to come back in that first week of August. This week's going to be a test. You know, if we can't build on the momentum that we started to see last week, you know, we could see a bit of a change again in this next set of reports as far as CFTC reports. But it was interesting to see money coming back in, and not just short covering, but actually establishing new long positions.
0: Darren what do the spreads tell you about demand for the physical good the corn out there in the countryside right now basis staying hot and what do the calendar spreads look like.
2: Basis is staying hot and this is telling us demand still still solid as we get as we're closing out this marketing year. Now what's interesting is is that we the, these calendar spreads particularly if we go like these March and the East July. You know so the initial spread for new crop and then the new crop marketing year as a whole. They're, they're still bullish they're still covering a bullish level of calculated full commercial carry both in corn and soybeans. but what's interesting is the last few weeks we've seen let's take the initial look at it so the, you know where the commercial traders really let us know what they think you know immediate production is going to be immediate supplies are going to be both of those have weakened we've seen excuse me, we've seen the carry in both of those spreads corn and soybeans strengthen so this tells us the commercial side is a little more comfortable with overall production. We don't know acres. We don't know, you know, what yield is going to be. We don't know, you know, the ridiculous crop condition numbers, which are just, you know, when you throw those away. But what, but what the market's actually telling us is that the commercial side getting just a little more comfortable with that initial amount of supplies to meet demand. And it's still bullish. That hasn't changed but it's just not as bullish as it was before. This is due to weather, you know, this is due to the overall conditions. This is due to, you know, everything that comes into play as we start looking ahead to what production could be later this uh, later this summer and fall.
0: Darren, what are you seeing the commercials do here in the soybean market? Are they also getting a little more comfortable with the oilseed supply?
2: Yeah, yeah, similar situation. Um, there I think there's also some concern slivings so are really interesting because yes i think they're a little more comfortable with the overall amount of supplies we've seen that play out in the spread Spreads are still bullish just not as bullish as they were before the question now becomes demand we know that china is throwing a temper tantrum over uh, around uh, taiwan they're going to continue to do that they actually extended their military drills out to i think august 18th or something like that so they're going to continue to throw their temper tantrum but it's unlikely that they take it that next step further and then face possible sanctions. Why? One of the reasons is the U.S. Is already has U.S. already has incredibly tight supplies, and you know next year's crop is still a question mark. Weather still a factor as we move through August. And as they look ahead to South America so they don't have to rely so much on U.S. supplies, South America is supposed to still be in a third year of La Nina as well, meaning dry conditions possibly, when we get to spring and summer in Brazil, Argentina, and so on. So they have to be careful from an oilseed market point of view, from the oilseed sector point of view, as to where they're going to get supplied if they cross the line and start facing some of those sanctions.
0: Darren, over to the livestock market. We're seeing both live and feeder cattle catch a bid today. Is there any outside market optimism brought to the cattle sector from, like, that strong jobs number we got on Friday?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and again, those numbers were for, those numbers were from July. They were very stout, and and so you know we saw that play out. The Month of July also saw boxed beef prices hold together relatively well. Uh, you know, select wasn't quite as strong as choice. You know, as we looked over the course of the month, but what concerns me is that. Number one, uh, live cattle seem to be pulling away from cash markets, so do the feeder cattle market. So that's a little bit questionable when basis starts to weaken. But as we look at those boxed beef markets, they were both hammered pretty hard that first week of uh, that first week of August. That's not a bullish sign as we set sail on this month, meaning we could start to see this labor market slow down a little bit. I've already had some people telling me much of that July number was seasonal. And again, it's a government number. How much can you how much can you really put into it anyway? But we could start to see the labor market slow down a little bit. And one of the indicators we can continue to look for is this boxed beef market.
0: All right, lots of developments still in this year ahead. Darren Newsom keeping track of all of them. You can find him online at darrennewsom.com. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Always appreciate your insights.
2: Well, Mike, Mike I really appreciate you having me on.
0: And folks, stick around. We're going to talk with John Baranek about just how that weather forecast looks for the week ahead. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
3: Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing.
4: The doctor
0: said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die.
3: Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor.
0: Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead.
3: What could you make possible as an organ eye and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: On the first Wednesday of every month, the National Corn Growers brings us the monthly grind here on AOA, looking into aspects of corn demand. In August, we talked about the partnership between corn and cattle with Kate Maher of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
5: We are really fortunate to have a great partnership with the National Corn Growers Association. We work together to bring a lot of information to producers, latest technology information to make all of us better and and keep that demand, keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's that's around the globe. You know, we export a lot of corn through beef. Um, That's really important. Uh, We are fortunate, again, to partner, partner with NCGA on a series that we've been doing on Cattlemen to Cattlemen. Uh, we've just got such a great story to tell together. started at the Seed Yard in Nebraska talking about sustainability practices and, and corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. That goes on to the next, next step um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef.
3: Tune
0: in on Wednesday, September 7th for the next edition of the Monthly Grind from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Monday. And it's a wet Monday for some of our audience here, particularly across northern Illinois, parts of Minnesota, parts of Iowa. Heavy rains overnight have resulted in some flash flooding risk. Joining us to talk about everything that's going on in the world of weather. This today is John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thank you so much for joining us.
9: And thanks for having me on, Mike. Always great to talk to you.
0: You know, I mentioned that uh, that flash flood risk. John, is it coming to an end there across the uh, northern Illinois area?
9: Yes, it is. So we've got a front coming through and it went through um, kind of the the Dakotas and upper Midwest over the weekend. And you mentioned some of the the heavier rains. Uh, We got some pretty good uh, amounts here across southern Minnesota, far northern Iowa, all the way into most of Wisconsin and and, uh, northern Illinois as well. A lot of those saw kind of two to four inches of rain, but there were some stripes in there that were four to six and some spots even higher than that. So quite a bit of rain uh, for those areas. We've got that front now coming through southern Wisconsin and northern, I- sorry, northern Illinois, and we've got some additional rainfall here. So we've got another couple hours uh, of that moving through, but that front will be sagging its way south here over the rest of the day, kind of moving out of those areas. But it will be moving into areas of Missouri and Illinois uh, later today and tomorrow uh, that had some flooding last week. So uh, we could be talking about some more flooding here coming up.
0: John, you mentioned this cold front. I just pulled up a quick look at the national current temperature. And it's a pretty clear line where that cold front is moving across temps 75, 80 plus on the east side, 66, 57 on the west side of that line. How much of a sustained cool down are we going to get from this thing moving across the country?
9: For, the, for most of us here in the western half of the Corn Belt, uh, western Mississippi River, it's just a couple days. Uh, we'll get temperatures moving back up above normal here, especially uh, across Nebraska, Iowa parts southward uh, in just a couple of days. So it won't last very long. Uh, but what we are gonna see is a second cold front move through later this week. So we'll get another uh, reinforcing shot of some, some cooler uh, air coming into the eastern Corn Belt later this week as well. So um, this cold front definitely is gonna eliminate the heat uh, overall, and we'll get a reinforcing shot that'll bring our temperatures kind of below normal uh, later this week and into the weekend.
0: John, so as you look out to that next cold front moving across the country, is the potential for more widespread rains there with this next system?
9: Not really. With this first front kind of pushing all the heat and humidity down to the southeast, it's not going to be a whole lot for it to work with. Uh, but we will see some potential with that heat kind of moving back into the plains where we get kind of this contrast in the Dakotas and Minnesota, kind of Thursday, Friday timeframe where we could talk about uh, some, some heavier rainfall in that area. Um, you know, we had a similar situation last week show up in Illinois and that produced some flooding there in Illinois. It's kind of similar, although there's not a whole, there's as much uh, moisture for it to work with. Uh, but we could be talking about some heavy rainfall amounts here for the eastern Dakotas and the Minnesota, maybe northern, uh, maybe northern Iowa as well. So some of those areas really could use a drink and um, uh, kind of missed out on some of the heavier rainfall uh, this weekend. So that would that would be good for some of them.
0: It certainly would. As you think about that storm system that particularly there in the northern plains, John, once this one gets beyond behind us this uh, this current cold front we're dealing with now does the potential for dryness raise its head again there in the dakotas and across montana and wyoming
9: yeah you know next week is is a very interesting time frame to look at the weather because um you know we should what we would expect with the upper level pattern of we've got this ridge across the west we would expect drier weather to, to occur with that but you know models are are putting a few ripples in that Uh, to produce some showers across the area. So even from Montana through the Dakotas, uh, this weekend and the next week, we've got a couple of things that are moving through that could produce some showers. I don't know if they'll be widespread um, or very heavy for a lot of folks, but we've got some chances moving through. Um, You know, typically what we would see under this this pattern here with with the ridge would be hot and dry conditions, but that's not really what the models are depicting. So uh, there's some conflicting signals going on with with, uh, the overall pattern.
0: John, those conflicting signals, the overall pattern that we're dealing with, I'm curious, as you, you look across the entire country, we've got the monsoon developing right now in the southwest, or I guess maybe it's in progress right now, and I saw that they had some phenomenal rainfalls across Death Valley at the tail end of last week, and that's got me wondering, is there the potential we could see additional rainfall across the, the drought-parched southwest?
9: And yes, and uh, you know, the monsoon has been going on. Actually, it started in June, which was about a month early. And uh, we've been seeing, you know, a lot of that was, has been confined to the Four Corners area, and um, everything just gets caught up in there. But I think part of the reason why we're seeing some more showers here farther north is because of that monsoon. So it's a, it's a good thing you brought that up. Um, some of these showers have been moving more into Nevada, into uh, Idaho and in kind of the northern Rockies. And, you know, it kind of moistens up the air as it's coming across the Rockies there. And uh, uh, some of those ripples have a little bit more moisture to work with. So I think that's why we're seeing showers. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we've seen some drought relief for a lot of that area. You know, everything's still in drought, though, because um, their, their typical wet season doesn't start for another couple months, and uh, they'll be counting on some more rainfall that way. But we've seen definitely seen some improvements um uh you know you talked about the Death valley region but it went all the way up into uh nevada utah and uh, idaho as well
0: that is good news john another part of the country this time of year we like to take a quick look at is down there across the gulf and in the tropics i understand things looked like it might be hot this year but i think it's been fairly quiet so far hasn't it is that going to change
9: it's been quiet so far that's true but we're just starting to get into our peak season so um you know we've had, we've had conditions uh, where we haven't just been able to, to to pop up any of these of these little uh waves coming off of africa that's starting to change um we have we're actually starting to track one right now coming off the coast of africa that may have a chance to develop uh, that's probably more of just an atlantic storm nothing for us to worry about but it's kind of the harbinger of, of conditions to come so we're just starting to get into our peak season like i said and and we'll be watching uh, a little bit more. Some of these fronts that are coming through the U.S. too, we're also going to have to watch. Sometimes they kind of stall off the coast of the Carolinas or down right near the Gulf, they could develop a a little tropical storm uh, uh, on them, so we'll have to watch those as well. Everything's starting to kind of shape up to to come into that more active uh, tropical season. I think we we should still expect that to occur, um, not just later this month, but all the way through September and probably October as well
0: well you know a a a more active gulf season might not be bad news for those folks but the people that need the rain john of course are farther off to the west we've got listeners across texas and that entire state remains mired in drought as those gulf storms activate is there the potential they could swing some moisture into texas oklahoma southern plains or will it all be southeast
9: absolutely i mean these uh tropical systems have a mind of their own it seems like um, you know, if one develops in the Gulf, there's always the potential for it to go all the way uh, through Texas. So, you know, it's very hard to get it all the way out in the west Texas. I mean, that's that's a really tough task. Um, and you know, some of the areas out there that have been, you know, dealing with drought for I don't know, it seems like years upon years, uh, is going to have a hard time with that. But you know, the coastal areas from uh, Houston on down that have also been deep in a drought this whole season and and uh, dealing with all the heat and everything could get a break from that if, if one of these storms were to occur. Um, but, you know, as you get past I-35, uh, going across the eastern Texas there, it's really hard to get systems to go that far west.
0: John, looking back to the east here, across the eastern Corn Belt, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, how are they sitting subsoil moisture-wise? They have been the, the fortunate ones this season with the rainfall. Is it getting to be too much?
9: Uh, In some spots it is. I already mentioned kind of some of the flooding that happened in Illinois last week. We've also seen it in uh, Missouri, in the Kentucky, parts of southern Indiana and Ohio have had pretty decent moisture over the last few weeks, where they didn't get it early on in the summer, but it's definitely come on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, And we have seen some improvement. It's not great, and it's not 100%, but if there's any spot in the country right now, it's Illinois, Indiana. Uh, Kind of Michigan, Ohio, that are sitting in in, in a good spot here for uh, for moisture. Um, You know, some of those other spots were in drought dealing with, you know, 100 degree temperatures, so it hasn't really penetrated as far deep into Missouri and Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, those areas as uh, you might hope. Um, But definitely have seen some improvements in that.
0: That's true. Uh, improvements are coming the right direction, John. That pocket of drought there across Southeastern, South Dakota, Northwest uh, Iowa, any chance they could get some rainfall?
9: Yeah. They, so, they, you know, I mentioned kind of that, that heavier rain potential later this week, they might be on uh, in on that. Um, I think our, our models right now are favoring kind of just a little more north, north of that. But there is some potential for us to, to develop later this week. Um, but overall, I think that's going to be a tough area to, to get some additional
0: rainfall from Chesk That's uh, frustrating for those folks about to run those choppers in that corn crop and that geography. John Baranek of DTN Weather, thank you so much for talking to us today.
9: Thanks for having me on, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. We're going to talk policy with Jackie Fatka when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients has held several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The final tour will be in Barrett, Minnesota on Thursday, August 11th, and will feature corn and soy. You don't wanna miss this exciting opportunity, and space is limited. For more information on dates and locations, and to reserve your spot, visit us at fertilizertour.com. That's fertilizertour.com.
4: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, so far this morning, we're seeing a reversal in the wheat markets. We started lower in the wheat trade, but have moved our way back to the upside with green numbers now across all three complexes. While corded soybeans remain relatively mixed. Soybeans front month old crop August has been uh, higher here this morning, up double digits. Decent strength in bean oil as well. Overall, seeing a bit of a mixed trade here to get things going this morning with the livestock markets trading their way mostly higher. Crude oil up 14 cents a barrel, 89.15. The Dow Jones up 284 points here as we work through our morning. Now rains exceeded expectations in some areas of the Midwest over the weekend, both in coverage and intensity. That's the good news. The bad news is that the added coverage was more biased to the east than to the west. And in the west, we saw a pretty thin area from about Sioux Falls down through parts of southern Minnesota, northern Iowa, into Wisconsin and Illinois, where we saw rains three to even eight inches in some areas. But again, some dry areas of Nebraska, southwest Iowa, Kansas, etc., missed out on a lot of these rainfall that we saw over the weekend now again it was good and beneficial where it fell but that was largely north and east of those areas that needed it the most the heat rapidly abated behind the frontal system that triggered the showers but it will return with a vengeance to western areas of the belt especially drier areas by the end of the week a few numbers in the trade corn for December that is down 3 and 3 quarters, 606 at a quarter, November beans down 3 quarters 1408, September Chicago wheat 8 and a quarter higher 784, September KC wheat up 5 and a quarter 853 and a half, spring wheat September up 7 at a quarter 893 and 3 quarters, August live cattle up 57 13845, August feeders up 127 18080, August hogs 32 higher 12115. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping
1: farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, Congress gets accused of not doing its job, but I tell you what, the Senate ended up pulling an all-nighter this past weekend and got the votes they needed to pass the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, whether or not that's a win, of course, depends on your personal politics, but it got passed indeed. So to bring us up to speed on what is in this massive package, as well as what else is happening in Washington, D.C., joining us now is Jackie Fatka, the policy editor for Farm progress. You can find her writing over at Farm Futures Magazine. Jackie, thanks for joining us today.
6: Great talking with you, Mike.
0: Let's start first with this Inflation Reduction Act. Jackie, did pass the Senate here on, what, Saturday, middle of the night. Bring us up to speed. What happened here with this bill?
6: Yeah, so, you know, we talked about this last week. Uh, This was a a deal that was brokered between uh, Senator Majority Leader Schumer and Joe Manchin. Uh, This was you know, touted as a the, the name of it is the Inflation Reduction Act. And as you kind of prefaced before, that does depend on the uh, sometimes the R&D on whether that will indeed do that. But for agriculture, there are some things that that are in this package that will provide some more money for some programs that we already know. So uh, farm bill programs that will get a big boost on the on the backs of being able to benefit the climate smart ag practices that this administration is trying to encourage.
0: And Jackie, let's talk about some of those funding amounts here in just a little bit. I want to talk first with the bill itself. It did pass the Senate with a vote of 51 to 50. Of course, that's below the 60 votes needed to avoid a filibuster. How is this bill going to move forward and become law?
6: So this is done through what is, we've now become more aware of the reconciliation process, which uh, if it's a budget matter, then it is allowed to be brought up on a 50-50 vote in the Senate. So usually to avoid what they call cloture, which is to end the debate on the bill, you would need a 60, 60 vote uh, to end debate. So usually in the Senate, we do need to have 60 votes to pass it, but um, the reconciliation allows for one one a year, to, to be started and approved through this 50-50 margin. So it, it did pass in the Senate, so now it would go back to the House, where it would also need to be a, just a straight majority vote there in the House, and then it would go to the to the President's desk. So right now, actually, the House is not in session, so they would need to come back to uh, do this bill, and uh, they're expected to probably come back next week to vote on it.
0: Jackie, given the the makeup of the house, is it expected that this is going to sail through? Uh,
6: yes, yeah. The the Senate was the big uh, holdup, and so by the fact that they were able to get Kristen Sinema to come along with that, and and actually it was some drought funding that she was able to kind of broker in the final final days that that, that brought her across the line uh, to to support this bill. Um, you know, Colorado and and Arizona and Nevada have some definite west Western uh, water issues and, and drought. And so there is 4 billion that they were also added into this final package that will benefit those states.
0: Now, Jackie, on the topic of the funding amounts, we've got a lot of big dollar figures in this bill. Since it is a reconciliation bill, does this both author, authorize and disperse the funds or is this just an authorization? We still have to get the money out of Uncle Sam at a later date.
6: Uh, yeah, so this will be, um, you know, it's not going to, obviously it's, it's not instant, but it is authorized. So sometimes, you know, like there's certain um, discretionary and mandatory funding is what we call it. Um, so sometimes even though it's written in a bill, it's not actually approved for use. But this this is written so that it, it would allocate these funds and actually authorize those funds as well. Um, so either $20 billion more for some of the, the programs that we're real familiar with, EQIP, Uh, The Conservation Stewardship Program, CSP, um, some NRCS technical assistance, so some some programs that we're real familiar with as well as um, a boost to biofuels and clean energy as well.
0: Jackie, so what did Congress end up coming around with on the biofuels clean energy infrastructure front?
6: You know, this is this is going to invest in some um, more, uh, there'll be some tax credits, it's extended some tax credits. So some of the specific things with the, uh, it creates a renewable diesel tax credit. So renewable diesel is a little different than biodiesel. There's a lot of interest in the renewable diesel. Um, obviously, ethanol is, is looking forward to where their future demand would come from. And so this would set up a sustainable aviation fuel tax credit, which would obviously Really boost those two growing sectors of the biofuel sector uh, that that are not really able to to utilize any uh, tax credits right now, and so this would create due ones for those. So those are those are the you know big big wins for the biofuels industry that had been um, you know supportive at least of some of these provisions are actually resurrected out of the Build Back Better that that did not pass last year.
0: That's a good point. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a roughly $440 billion bill, but it is the scaled down version of the, I don't remember, $6 trillion, $4 trillion Build Back Better plan that was discussed this last year. And Jackie, on the USDA funding, $20 billion uh, allocated to USDA for those programs you mentioned, EQIP, RCPP, ACEP, all the others, is this enough to actually cure the oversubscription or is this just an amount to help get those programs sort of back up to speed? with farmer demand
6: you know i think um i think in some ways you're always you you may have more people even who sign up for this but you know it's it's about three to one on equip of of being able to um, those applications that come in compared to what is actually funded and so you know this this is a boost um but whether that's enough you know we may even see more people who are wanting to get involved in this now I mean once there's more money maybe that encourages more people to do it I mean that that is the hope that they would have uh, more people who would who would participate in these conservation programs there's a lot of promises this administration is trying to make in being able to 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 be able to account for promised reduction levels and emissions right and so ag has a great story to tell in that and great role to play in that you know There's some reports out there that this funding is going to actually take land out of production, you know, EQIP and CSP are working land programs. So programs that farmers are getting paid to do um, things that help them be more profitable, um, be better utilization with their fertilizer or their chemicals. And so you know, there's a lot of misinformation about that, but farmers on the ground they know that these uh, practices are important for not only the conservation and environmental benefits, but also their bottom line. And so this is this is a good um, utilization of that. Now, on the flip side of this, um, you know, Senator Bozeman this morning this weekend had a lot of concerns with how this is funding farm bill programs, right? Because this is a direct boost to farm bill programs, and we're a year before the farm bill. Does this mean that all of the deals are just going to be made in reconciliation? Whoever is in control or if we have a tight, uh, you know, this year it's 50-50, but if we had a, a you know, it's every year we're just going to write um, our legislation through this type of process, uh, it doesn't provide as much input. And the opportunity to have a bipartisan process going forward, which farm, farm bill programs usually do have a lot of bipartisan support. And, and this program, which provides you know, 40 billion for rural America, 20 billion in these Ag, the Climate Smart Ag programs did not have one Republican vote, which is just really not how we usually operate within the Ag sector
0: and jackie part of that i understand in talking to some of the folks who are involved with ag uh, lobbying groups in dc is that they just didn't have the time on this bill this is a 500 billion dollar bill that was written last week published voted on and now is going to go to the house how has the ag industry responded are there groups in favor groups opposed is there a general consensus on the ira you
9: know
6: so i Stabenow, Senator uh, Ag Committee Chairman Stabenow did say that there are 1,700 groups who supported that. Um, I I think those might be some smaller groups. You did not hear anything from folks as American Farm Bureau Federation. You know, one thing that's kind of hidden within this is it does change the bonus depreciation. And we're still trying to figure out, I talked with the Association of Ag Manufacturers last week, because a lot of farmers do try to write off their bonus depreciation. Uh, You know, the other thing, too, is, you know, this isn't going to tax those who are making $400,000 or more, but you know, a lot of farmers do write off a lot of stuff so that they're under that income level. This boosts a whole bunch of extra money to the IRS. So does that put farmers more at risk because they may end up kind of having the a bullseye on their back because now there's a whole bunch more IRS officials looking at everybody's financials. You know, those are all questions we will wait and see. Um, and, and yes, classic fashion of. Let's just kick the can down the road or cram things down too fast. It's, it's, there's not a lot of thoughtful reasons sometimes, I feel like, with things that go on in the, the D.C. that way, unfortunately.
0: No, I think you're right. And, Jack, you know, it's interesting with that bonus depreciation. It sounds as though that is a fairly substantial rewrite, probably going to be a best practice to plan on spending some good time with an accountant this next year before doing your taxes, right? I mean, this is a, this is a fairly good size change for a lot of farmers.
6: Yeah. Definitely. And that's something that, you know, we, that was included within the 2017, uh, you know, what what we saw in the Trump tax cuts that went into effect in 2018. Um, so it, it's definitely something that, that we're going to be watching. And, and yes, I would definitely suggest talking with your accountant once we get some more details on how this will be implemented and, and making sure that, you know, maybe you try to purchase something yet this year if that doesn't go into effect immediately. But sometimes these laws are also written that it would that would it would be immediate. And so, you know, maybe even anything prior to, you know, anything purchased after after this date or whenever it passes a house or signed, you know, sometimes those provisions are, are are immediate. They don't they don't go into effect in a, at a later date. So I'm still I'm still working on trying to figure out how that impact would be, because I do think that'll be a substantial impact to, to farmers that's maybe under the radar right now.
0: I think it is. I think we're going to find a lot of stuff that might be under the radar as this bill continues to get unpacked. In the meantime, Jackie Fatka, thanks for keeping an eye on it. And thanks for bringing us up to speed on this new legislation.
6: You that, Thanks,
1: Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. We're going to talk more here on AOA once we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
8: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death.
7: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
10: I like that too.
7: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: On the first Wednesday of every month, the National Corn Growers brings us the monthly grind here on AOA, looking at aspects of corn demand. In August, we talked about the partnership between corn and cattle with Kate Maher of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
5: We are really fortunate to have a great partnership with the National Corn Growers Association. We work together to bring a lot of information to producers, latest technology information to make all of us better and, and keep that demand keep that product flowing to meet that demand that's around the globe. You know, we export a lot of corn through beef. Um, that's really important. Uh, we are fortunate, again, to partner partner with NCGA on a series that we've been doing on Cattlemen to Cattlemen. Uh, we've just got such a great story to tell together. Started at the seed yard in Nebraska talking about sustainability practices and in corn production and beef production, and they just go hand in hand. That goes on to the next next step um, where we're producing that really amazing grain-fed beef.
0: Tune in on Wednesday, September 7th for the next edition of the Monthly Grind from our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about some of the other factors in that Inflation Reduction Act, folks. This was just passed yesterday by the Senate. As Jackie Fatka mentioned, it is now in the House. They're going to be called back into session and will likely vote on it later this week, perhaps next weekend. But They are expected to pass it. It is expected to go to Joe Biden's desk. He will sign it. This thing is basically law. And there are a couple of other key elements that we should talk about, as well as the fact that what we're discussing here is the law. And I think it's worth remembering that when we hear about things discussed in Washington DC, the laws get written first, right? That's the work of the legislators in Congress, both on the House and the Senate side. And the laws tell us what to do. Congress passes those laws, then they kick the language from those laws over to the executive agencies, the branches of government. Think IRS, think Department of Energy, Department of Labor, USDA, who else could be handling the disbursement of funds? And then those agencies write the rules. So think about it like the laws tell us what to do, the rules tell us how they're going to do it, and we have the law in hand, but what we don't have, and you heard Jackie's frustration there, is some of the rules. How is this bonus depreciation tax break going to work? Well, the IRS has to look at the law, figure out how they can write the rules to conform with the law, then get it out there. So we've got some time ahead of us before we have the details as to how the rubber will meet the road with these programs, but there were a few other issues. One of the other hotly contested thing in this piece of legislation is allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices. They're going to start with 10 high-priced drugs that uh, by the middle of this decade, so again, remember, we're talking government. They're not going to go out next year and start negotiating. This is by 2026, 2025. They are going to be able to negotiate on 10 high-priced drugs, and uh, that's, they expect, going to pass some savings down the line. We're going to see the biggest bulk of spending going out the door as additional climate and energy spending. This is mainly taking the form, as we know so far, of expanded tax credits for renewable energy projects. And it includes removing the limit of uh, $7,500 for tax credits per manufacturer. So this is good news for Tesla. Now their purchasers can get $7,500 or more in free government money. And this is all coming out of that $374 billion that's been allocated for climate and energy spending, included and that is a portion of the money for agriculture, notably those funds going for, quote, climate smart ag, which, as we talked about on Friday's show, basically means the conservation programs that are already in existence, particularly since this is a reconciliation bill. It's just funding things that are already in existence. That's where that chunk of the money is going to go in agriculture. And of course, you can't spend money without also making money. This bill does raise some revenue, and it does that through new taxes, which um, we talked about this on the show here several weeks ago. The US has now joined the rest of the globe, or at least the other 167 countries signed up for a 15% corporate minimum tax. This bill does make that, uh, make that change. It imposes a 1% tax on the value of stock buybacks for all those companies that have been going into the private markets, buying their shares back. Now they're gonna have to pay an additional fee for doing that. And there is an $80 billion boost to the IRS specifically 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 earmarked For enforcement. So of all the things that could impact uh, perhaps your operation, first and foremost, this $80 billion boost to the IRS might indeed be the reason why. Some analysts estimate this is going to allow for the hiring of an additional 87,000 IRS agents. So I would be sure you are crossing those I's and dotting those T's in 2023, 2024, when you're sending in your taxes. We'll continue to talk about how these rules are written and the ways in which they could impact agriculture but as of right now the big text is all we've got in hand we've got some other factors playing out around the world folks we have been talking it seems like non-stop for two years about the global supply chain and guess what we're not done talking about it quite yet. We've got other issues percolating in the world of supply chains. We talked about that AB5 issue in California this past week, the uh, the forcing of independent truckers into employee status and how that is causing some disruptions over there on the West Coast. Those disruptions could be magnified because we're seeing China's exports continue to grow. Their trade surplus rose to a record. Some of this is on the fact that a lot of production was built up in ports during their various lockdowns. We'll see more about what China's production looks like as we get farther along into the year. But this congestion in Asia is causing some troubles. We've seen China and Taiwan renew their spat, and that is continuing to slow down traffic around that key component. We're also seeing issues in Europe. Water levels on the Rhine River are falling close to the point at which they would have to shut down that river for navigation a lot of grains a lot of commodities come both in and out of germany up and down the rhine in fact that is one of the largest arteries for fertilizer exports from germany though we do anticipate fertilizer exports in germany to come down because their electricity crisis is still a fact as russia rolls back their lng excuse me their gas exports via pipeline into europe speaking of europe folks they have more trouble ahead we are now seeing reports that norway the country of Norway is going to limit their power exports. We're seeing France and Germany in particular get concerned about the availability of electricity over the summer. Prices in those two countries have surged thousands of percent here over the past several weeks. And they were hoping they'd be able to secure electricity from other European countries. But now those other European countries are growing concerned about their supplies this winter. And in Norway, they're concerned about the lack of rain filling up all of their hydroelectricity dams. And as Europe does not want to be pumping a lot of fossil fuels, which Norway has in abundance. They're instead choosing to rely on hydro and with the drought that is spread across much of Northern Europe, they're concerned that they are not going to have the water capability to run their power plants at full force, which is what they need to be doing to be exporting power to the other countries in Europe. So we'll see how all this plays out. We'll be talking about the implication of these factors on the fertilizer markets as we go through the year. No doubt Josh Linville will have some insights on that as we continue to move along folks. Thanks so much for tuning into AOA today. A reminder, I will be in Omaha Thursday and Friday at the ACE conference at the Marriott downtown. If you're going to be in Omaha for ACE, drop me a note, let me know. I'd love to talk to you. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk meat demand with Glenn Tonser of Kansas State. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
7: We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers, Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.